This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. to have you folks here today. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fun kind of talking about laughter, and, and we're going to move through it here in a process, a process where we're looking at a, what, does, what does it really look like to live from that joyful place where laughter comes very easily. As, as somebody said, you know, before the service, I was talking, they were watching the band practice that song and laughter, and they said it ends up being contagious, like you can't help but smile, you know, and, and that's what we're trying to do with laughter. Now, to look at this story, we're going to look at a Bible story that goes back thousands of years. Like, it's over 3,000 years old. It goes back in the Bible. It's about, uh, you know, Abraham's on the right, Sarah's on the left. This is just a picture I pulled because I love the picture. It's this ancient story of this very, very old couple. Now, when you look at how the new church reads the Bible, we read the Bible, and I said this last week, those of you were able to join us online, we read it very poetically. So, so we read it as a, as a story, and it's a good story, but then what's really underneath it? That's the core of New Church. What's underneath it? What's the bigger message? Because if we just read this as a story about an old couple who has a kid, interesting, but maybe there's something more. Maybe there's a story underneath, a story written 3,000 years ago that was true for all eternity and will be true through all eternity. A bigger poetic truth that we want to talk about today and we want to learn about together. So the way this story started with this old couple, they were only able to have one child. They needed a surrogate to to bear that child. She's much, much, she's way up there in years. There's no way she's going to actually have a child impossible. Three men show up and they said, hey, you know what? You're going to have a child. Three angels, three messengers. They show up and they say, you're going to be blessed with a child. She doesn't believe it. She finds it laughable. Like there's no way that can actually occur. But she does end up having a child. That's the shift in the story. From the older sibling to this something that is born anew. Now, I want to start out by looking again at, at that older sibling a bit, really getting, honing in on, on what that was all about. Now, the name of that older sibling was Ishmael. Can we say that together? Ishmael. That was, that was his name. And what, what he sort of pictures is, is that firstborn part of us, a part that's really concerned about rules, being a good rule follower, all those different pieces of life where, where yeah, you know what, they're just, they're just your typical firstborn. And not all firstborns are that way, but a lot are a lot. Really want to make sure everybody follows along and follows the rules and, and, and takes care of things that way. If they were soccer referees, they would constantly be flashing the the yellow card. Now, the yellow card in soccer, when you do something wrong in soccer, and I haven't quite figured out European soccer where they always seem to be diving, but we won't go there. Uh, you know, you get a yellow card. Like, you do something wrong, you get a yellow card. So, Mary, I'm going to have you pass out some yellow cards here to our audience. To anybody you think deserving of one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just one per family. You just pass them all around. You can just be arbitrary with this all. So, you know, yellow cards, I want to talk about that for a minute, like, like with the yellow card. So if we think of the yellow card, that part where we see somebody violate the rules is like, boop, yellow card. Probably some of you drove here today and your spouse was driving the wrong way. You whipped that baby out, right? Or you saw someone cut you off, not use their turn signal, which seems to be optional in Philadelphia anyways, and you 
pull out the yellow card, right? Or maybe, not that I would know anything about this, maybe your husband did not do a morning task, a household chore, whoop, and the yellow card comes out. Now, that's that first kind of mindset piece. And what was interesting is, is when we look at, at the yellow card, a lot of time we don't even realize that we're doing it. At least I don't. I, more than once, I've said something to someone, not really thinking I was criticizing them, and then later on they say, hey, Chuck, you know what? I, I need to tell you that that really didn't work for me with the way you said that. That was a little, little critical. It was a bit of an ouch. And I think a lot of that is because of our lens. Now, notice what happens. You see what color this card is, right? Can we all say the color? It is? Now, notice what happens when we change the light here. Still yellow. Just give it a second. What color is it now? Pink, yeah. You see, oftentimes we don't, we don't really see it as a yellow card. We kind of have our own lens, our own perspective, and we don't necessarily see it. So what I want you to do today is I want you to be able to see it. I want you not to be able to see it as a pink card. I want you to be able to see it as a yellow card. And maybe even in seeing it that way, to start to realize how when we call things what they are, when we're really able to see where we're doing that, we actually create a lot of space for laughter. If we're going around flashing yellow cards everywhere, it's hard to laugh. It's hard to find those, those lighter parts of life. See, look at these words here. What happens when we come from the yellow card place? Listen to this, folks. We're relentlessly critiquing, and we are captive to the content of our own lives. I'm going to have you say that second C word. We are relentlessly critiquing. We are captive to the content of our lives. We are just relentless about it. I mean, it just it just never ends. That is a really challenging mindset to have. And that's when that first mindset, that Ishmael place, when, when it all of a sudden, instead of becoming a servant, it becomes a leader, and it just starts to run roughshod over all kinds of things. What we become, please listen carefully to this. This is when I type into my phone, actually. I didn't put it up on a slide because I want to say it. We become toxic observers. Can we say that together? Toxic observers. Toxic observers on everything. And our brain just starts like going. We're always in our head about stuff. We're always trying to think through stuff. We're always critiquing. We're always figuring out who's in and out, good and bad. We're always into that space. Now, what I would like you to do for a minute here is to channel your toxic observer. All right? I want you to channel your toxic observer. I'm going to grab the microphone and then what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you in channeling it, I'm just going to give you a word, and then I'm going to have you respond from your toxic observer. All right, you ready? Okay. Let me grab the microphone. All right. I need one volunteer. Angela's going to come and get one volunteer. Raise your hand, and then I'm going to call on you. Right there. Excellent. I, I'm going I'm to give you an easy one because I know you. The Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, a bad team. A bad team. 
there you go. I'm from Pittsburgh. That's sort of an inside joke. He's a big hockey guy. Who's someone else who wants to give, a, give another one? Give me get a, here we go. Watch, watch everybody's reaction when I say this. This year's presidential race. Toxic observer. Channel it, baby. Let it flow. How many minutes do I have? <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Dis- disappointing. Great. Great, great, great. All right, let me get one more person here. But Michael, this one's like, I'm teeing this up for you, buddy. I got to dig deep for it. You got to dig deep. I-95. Stupidity. <laughs> Stupidity. There you go. All right, give them a round of applause, folks, for being so brave. So you can see, like, these Bible stories, when you look at the poetic, you look at the deeper part, they actually have a whole lot to tell us, actually. You know, a whole lot to tell us in our lives. And how do we start to put that stuff down? we gotta, we got to learn to move beyond it. And I'd ask you to think, like, where's that yellow card for me? You know, as the band comes out, think about that. You know, I had, I had one just a, just a few days ago. Like, like my, and I found out there's other wives who are the same way. My wife is emphatic. Like, nobody touches her pillow. Right? Do not touch her pillow. Like, do not touch the pillow. And, and so, you know, just, she's been, we've been married almost 30 years, and she still doesn't want me, like, grabbing a hold of her pillow. So, so, so in the morning when she wakes up, she always pulls the pillow over to the very edge of our king-size bed. So when I'm doing this... You know, I can't reach the pillow. Don't worry, I'm really okay. And, and, uh, and you know, so in the morning, like, I wake up and it's like, oh, yeah. And so I, I, you know, I do this. I start making up a story. How many of us do that? She just moved the pillow. That's it. So how do we learn to do it a little differently? To learn to just simply take it easy. Can you guess what song we're going to do? Can you learn to just, just take it easy? Just take it easy, get a little breath, no more toxic observer. So, you know, that first mindset, that Ishmael mindset, the, the problem is, is that it makes everything life and death. And the, the famous basketball coach from University of North Carolina gave this warning. If everything is a life and death decision, you're going to be dead a lot. <laughs> I think that's really true. Like, not everything's a crisis. You don't have to win on everything. But you see, our toxic observers constantly breaking things into binaries so that it's really hard for love to grow. Take a look at this picture. Does anybody know what that's a picture of? That is a hot mug of tea thrown in a circle at 32 degrees below Fahrenheit. Isn't that cool? And I kind of think like when we're in that Ishmael part, we're in that real judgmental toxic observer part, no matter how warm the tea is, when we throw it out there, what happens? It, it freezes. Like there's no warmth. And, and yes, we need to have light. We need to have light. Light is important. But you better have warmth as well. The birth of that warmth. The birth of that warmth is the birth of Isaac. Listen to this from the Bible. Those of you who are following along, this is Genesis 21 beautiful line here. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant, bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time 
God had promised. Abraham gave the name Isaac. Abraham gave him the name, say it with me. Abraham gave him the name Isaac. It's a beautiful name. This beautiful, beautiful name. That name Isaac, listen to this, means he laughs. Do we have any Isaacs here, by the way? Any Isaacs? Give me a shout out. I guess not today. Maybe online. Isaac, the name Isaac means he laughs. And you can imagine like the laughter there, that the miracle that that was all about, what that was speaking to. Now, what does that mean underneath? Like what happens as, as we shift over and that warmth is born? Well, what starts to happen with our lives? It's a place where our lives are vivified, refreshed, reinvigorated, and we can finally start to actually laugh. A beautiful transition here, folks. Now, as we look at the transition, look how the Bible story goes on. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. So the child, so the child arrives, and she has this, this beautiful line. I want to leave that up for a couple of minutes, because, because we can kind of miss the miracle that's there, and the miracle that speaks to, as this second part of our life starts to arrive. When we look at this second part, folks, that first word laughter, like it's great when you look at the Bible and you start to really pull apart the language because language tells you so much about people and tells you so much about what's considered important. That first one, laughter, that is kind of the idea of scorned when you look at Hebrews, scorned. So it's not where people are laughing. You guys will complete this and you'll get it right away. It's not where you are laughing with people, it's where you have been laughed at. How many of you enjoy being laughed at? That's really hard. And I'm sure we all have that experience, right? That humiliating experience. Maybe some of you had it when your bum met the snow some unfortunate time. You slipped on ice this weekend and somebody laughed at you. You know, it's just that, like that, oh. Do we all remember that? Has everybody had that moment where you've been laughed at? It ain't pretty. It ain't pretty. What, hap- what happened to your soul in that moment? Give me a shout out. What happened to your soul in that moment? Hmm? Crushed. Totally crushed. You, you, you couldn't wait to find a rock to crawl under. You know, you just feel totally crushed by that. So here, you know, here she has this shift where she she initially believes like God God has 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 brought has brought me laughter scorn like this like yeah you know here I thought that it was all this scorn but now here's a change but now everyone who hears about this that God what God really was up to will laugh with me. I mean, folks, just imagine when she found out the news, and there's a lot of story on this in the Bible, when she found out the news she was going to have a baby, and she's, she's way up there in years, you can imagine a lot of people just laughed at her. Like, yeah, right. Again, going back to what we talked about over online, laughable. But this second one, you know, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. This new part where God is kind of bringing her to see laughter in a new way, moving beyond the appearance of scorn. It's the, the word laughter here is the laughter, when you look at the Hebrew, it's the laughter of, of play. It's the laughter of play. How many of us have heard kids laughing while they played and just found it the most sweetest, most endearing thing of all time, right? 
you know, we had my, my two little nephews over, and they're, uh, I think they're like about five months, you know, and I'm working with them on what they're to call me. They're to call me Uncle Favorite. And, uh, you know, I'm working with them on this. And then, and then, then all the, the family, like we had a little family reunion because my daughter Brooke is back from Colorado and, and, uh, for just a few days. And, and the whole family's gathered around, and, the, and one of the babies starts laughing. We've all seen that, right? Experienced that? Is there anything better? Like in all these adults, like it, it's interesting, right? Here are all these adults, these upstanding adults, and they're all getting down on the ground just to make these goofy faces and say goofy things to the baby. Do you see where the power shifted there? It's a totally different form of power to see 50-year-olds on their knees laughing with a baby. That's good stuff. That's the kind of laughter that Sarah's talking about here. That's the kind of shift that this means. It's where we move from scorn to play, where we move from feeling totally degraded by being laughed at to feeling the joy and the playfulness of laughing, begins with W, ends with F, laughing with, laughing with. And what a joy that is as we make that transition, this real laughter with. But but you see, folks, the toxic observer is not into laughing with you. The toxic observer, if there's any laughter in the toxic observer, it's about laughing at. So so we have to learn to to shift it some way, to maybe do things a little bit differently to to make that change. Now, this is how New Church Theology, this is what New Church Theology says happens when we... Could you turn off the music? Thank you. Um, you know, where we, where we see that shift, here's how, how the new church puts it. That second part, look at, these, look at these phrases that Emmanuel Swinburg uses when we make that shift to Isaac, he laughs. Not interested in fighting anymore. I just, I, I don't need to be fighting all the time. I just don't, don't need to do that anymore. It's gentle. It's patient. It's focused on love and focused on mercy. Is that beautiful or what? You, you can see, folks, like, it's a very different orientation. It's not, again, that this is something like, to, to, if you're looking at your yellow card self, to go like, bad, wrong, bad, wrong, because all that's doing is that's just putting the yellow card over here to yell at the yellow card over there. It's just about going, yeah, I have parts of that in my life, and I just need to be aware of them. And to let God slowly start to pull me to something else. And this is that something else, this next slide. We start, that, that toxic observer, relentlessly critiquing, we are captive to the content of our lives. And we shift. Now we're openly curious. And this, this, that M word's really important. Can we say that word with a lot of might? All right. We, can we say it a little bit more mighty? We, we might, we might, we might enjoy or not the content of our lives, but we're not captive to it. It's, 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 I, I can understand my life, and there are parts of my life where the content isn't terribly enjoyable, and there's parts where the content is very enjoyable. To say that there are parts that aren't enjoyable, to say, just sort of like lop those off and say, no, everything's great, that's not true. Not everything is great. But if I'm curious, I can just be in that place where I know, where I know that I'm not captive to that stuff that happens that's hard. 
It doesn't mean I don't feel it, grieve it, um, that there isn't pain around it, that I don't feel sad and upset when, when someone says something or, or, or does something that, that hurts something I really love. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. It just means I'm not captive to it. In other words, I can let it go. I can let it go. When we start to let it go, all of a sudden there's a higher embracing. Can we say those words together? A higher embracing. We start to see a bigger picture. Maybe that bigger picture looks kind of like this. All right? Now, I want to explain this a little bit. And again, I want you to pull in the whole picture there. Here's a referee on the left giving a yellow card. There's a, you know, a player on the right. We, we start to understand, okay, so, so actually with both of these mindsets, they both belong. Remember, Ishmael and Isaac were what? Brothers. Can we say brothers? Brothers. They were brothers. Get it? Family. They work together. This isn't about lopping one part off and just going one place. No, it's about how do we bring the two together? For the kids in the audience, when, when, if you played a board game over, uh, over, uh, you know, the, the Arctic blast that we had last week, if you played a board game, what's the first thing you do when you get out of board game you haven't played before? What's the first thing you do? Instructions. You read the instructions. You figure out what the rules are, right? It's a lot more fun to play with rules than without. So we start to see the yellow card part. We start to go, oh, it actually has a belonging here. It's the rules and the game. And the game needs the rules and the rules need the game. The problem is sometimes you see people where instead they've forgotten about the game and they've made it all about that R word. They've made it all about the rules. Does that work well? No. And neither does it work well if you think you can just play the game with no rules. That doesn't work well. It, you know, you have to have these two somehow coming together as brothers where the, where the rules support the game. But you see, again, like the rules are not what the game's about. The game is the game is the game. They call soccer the beautiful game. I think life, when we can put these two together in empowering ways, becomes that beautiful, beautiful game. What do we start to see then? Here's what New Church Theology puts it. Instead of seeing us as the source of everything, we start to see everything as a gift from God. The whole thing, yellow card and all. We start to be able to pull those two together. When we can do that, folks, when we start to pull those two together, it means that, that we can have parts of our life that are very difficult and very challenging. And where the rules are difficult and the rules are challenging. And, and like, I'm sure some of you are walking in here right now. You, you feel like you've maybe lost the plot. You're not sure what the rules are in this situation. Fill in the blank what this situation is. What are the rules? It's, it's, if you can come from the right perspective, you can actually hold all of that together without necessarily solving it per se. Just getting that it is what it is. Now I want to share with you a really spectacular poem. All right, but I, but I sort of, I, it's such a good poem, I want you folks to really be attentive to it. So let's just get one big breath, you know, so we're like really present to it. Get a big breath, breath in. And a breath out. 
this is, uh, sorry for making everybody cough there. Uh, this is, this is a really beautiful poem. This is a, this is a young woman and she says, listen to this line, beautiful line. She says, to love me is to love a haunted house. How many of us are haunted houses? <laughs> you know, we carried around in our head a haunting. You know, it's just like it's going around and around in our head. And she talks about the impact that love can have when love can even just hold that place. So take a look at this beautiful, beautiful spoken word poem. We have got to talk about the kids in all those Goosebumps books. For example, if your family vacation is to an amusement park called Horrorland, and your station wagon explodes in the parking lot upon arrival, maybe shrugging it off, buying an extra large popcorn, and heading directly to the deadly doom slide is not your best possible course of action. Or if you steal a weird camera from your creepy neighbor's basement and all the pictures you take show bad things happening, like decapitation and also tofurkey, and then all the bad things from all the pictures start happening... Stop taking pictures. Or if you move into your new house and there are a bunch of small children already living in your bedroom that your parents cannot see, maybe don't just grab a juice box and go to play in the cemetery that is in your backyard. (laughs) Or when I tell you about the ghosts that live inside my body, when I tell you I have a cemetery in my backyard and in my front yard and in my bedroom... When I tell you that trauma is a steep slide you cannot see the bottom of, that my anxiety is a camera that shows everyone I love as bones, when I tell you, when I tell you that panic is a stubborn phantom, that she will grab onto me and not let go for months, this is the part of the story when everyone is telling you to run. To love me is to love a haunted house. It's fun to visit once a year, but no one wants to live there. And when you say, tell me about the bad days, sounds like all the neighborhood kids daring each other to ring the doorbell. And you love me like the family walking through horror land holding hands. You are not stupid or careless or even brave. You've just never seen the close-up of a haunting. Darling, this love will not cure me. And this love will not scrape the blood from the baseboards, but it will turn all the lights on. It will bring basil back from the farmer's market, and it will plant it in every windowsill. It is the kind of love that gives me goosebumps when you say to the ghosts, if you're staying, then you better make room. And we kiss against the walls that tonight are not shaking. So we turn the music up, and we dance to Miles Davis. We turn the music up, and we dance to Miles Davis. And you say... My God, this house, the way that it stands, even on the months that no one goes into or comes out of it. How reckless, the way that I love, like the first chapter of a ghost story, like a gentle hand reaching out of a grave. I've seen that poem many times and it just, it gives me goosebumps like every time I see it. 
Because I think that's where we're supposed to move. I think that's what we're supposed to be. That beautiful line that she has, to love me is to love a haunted house. Love that will not cure me, but love that will turn the lights on. Love that will turn the lights on. That, folks, I think is what we're trying to find, that we're constantly trying to create as God moves our mind from this place to this place. That love that will turn the lights on, that love that will turn the lights on for that homeless man in Kensington who read that note. The love that will turn the lights on for a couple who's struggling with finances and now maybe figures a way out. A love that will turn the lights on for a homeless person who doesn't have socks and who they, in that very simple, gracious gesture, for one moment, living as many people do with a haunted house, feels loved. There's nothing easy or trite about that, but I, but I feel like when we can move to that place, there's laughter. That newborn, where that newborn that we're actually able to name it, he laughs. That's, that is that place of release and freedom where God is bringing us. So let's work this week. Find some way to put down the yellow card a little bit less. <laughs> you know, or put it down a little more, excuse me. Yellow card on me. You know, maybe you want to write down, like, this is where the yellow card is showing up too much for me. And just work a little bit about putting it down. A little bit of inviting a new place. A place where the lights are on. And we can just focus on being loving to other people. That's simple. A very simple message. And what I know will happen is you will learn to laugh again. Can I get an amen? Amen. There you go. So I'd ask you now to please join me in a prayer. And then we're going to have a last song. It's a great song by One Republic. You're welcome to stand up if you want as Marcus sings this song or stay seated, whatever you want. As we really celebrate, like what does it look like to really laugh again? So please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. And Lord, so many of us here feel that we are carrying around a haunted house. And Lord, allow us, even in those places, to find love. Allow us, Lord, to be able to hold those places that are broken. Hold those with love. Allow us, Lord, to put down the yellow card, to, 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 to see in our minds that first place, that Ishmael place, and Lord, allow it to have its place, but Lord, also to allow our soul to be called forward into something new being born. Isaac, Isaac, he laughs. Laughing, Lord, at those places where we find joy. Lord, laughing at our own foibles and mistakes and accidents. Laughing, Lord, at those places that simply make us human simply make us human. No longer a laughing at, but a laughing with. Stir in our hearts that place. Help us, Lord, said with a smile, to learn this, to learn to laugh again. 
In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 